0: This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. When they say farm to table, you may imagine it only relating to food. But what if your family farm provided you with farm to beer? Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting, I'm a music producer, and I have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers and what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest and the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I'm right on the U.S.-Canadian border in Blaine, Washington, at the newly opened Atwood Ales, Blaine's first and oldest brewery. Josh and Monica began releasing their beers in spring 2016. I'm Josh. I am co-owner and head brewer slash janitor.
1: I'm Monica and I'm wife, assistant and sales and director of marketing.
0: And the name of your brewery, Atwood Ales. And where does that name come from? So Atwood
2: is my middle name. Uh, It's my dad's middle name. It was my grandfather's middle name. And when we were talking about names, Atwood Ales sounded like a more interesting family-owned brewery name than Smith Ales or Well, I mean, Alesmith was already taken, so that was, you know, not available to us. But so just because it's family owned and operated, we thought that Atwood was a good, good family name for
0: it. And where does the
2: middle name come from in the family? I'm not actually sure. Um, I think it's a maiden name somewhere before that. But looking at genealogy, I, I couldn't see where it fit in past my grandfather, where it came from. Mm -hmm. So I'm
0: not really sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this brewery is interesting because it's, uh, it's on a farm. Where are we? And what is this farm? We're on the farm that I grew up on, um,
2: just east of Blaine, Washington. It's just five acres, which is honestly plenty for growing the things that we're growing for brewing. But the brewery itself is in our barn. It's a hundred year old barn, family owned, operated. Um, my folks live in the farmhouse. Uh, Monica and I live in the, uh, one of the barns in an apartment that we built and uh, our son kind of lives in between the two houses and uh, we all work together on, on the brewery. So we all have different roles and we all help each other out with harvesting and brewing and selling and talking to people and all, all of the necessary components of
0: running a business. Monica, like what's, what's it like being out on the farm all the time and having this out here?
1: Oh, it's beautiful. And I grew up, On property like this. And so so it's always my dream to hopefully end up back on property like this, where you get to work together as a family and there's fruit and gardens and everything around you that we get to then take and use and put into our beers, which is pretty amazing to be able to use what we have here to do that. Yeah. We love it out here. It's hard to leave here. When you come home, you don't want to go anywhere.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we joke, well, sort of joke that a really great day is a day where we don't have to leave the property Yeah, we can get up in the morning, walk across the yard to the barn and, and get to work in the brewery or out in the field or whatever. And then if we don't have to go anywhere, it's awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a pretty nice feeling, leaving the car in the garage for the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how did the brewery come about?
2: Well, this incarnation of the idea has been floating around in my brain for um, probably five or six years. I moved back here to the area in 2008, I quickly got started homebrewing and finagled a job at a a small little brew pub that was in Ferndale uh, called Frankenstein. And then through working there, learned more about production and what to do and what not to do, how to run a business, how to not run a business. And then I got involved with Another group of guys. The ringleader of that group was Jim Parker, who is um, kind of a legendary character in craft beer. He connected the five of us who are all homebrewers thinking about starting nanobreweries. So we started actually this coaster here, the Bellingham Beer League, which is actually originally the Bellingham Beer Lab, um, but for some. Trademark reasons involving a, a brewer in Seattle that shall remain nameless that doesn't exist anymore. We uh, we changed it to Beer League anyway. Um, so it was a co-op. The idea was that it was a cooperative brewery incubator, and each of us had our own brands and would work together, share the brew house, and figure out how to launch our businesses and grow outside of the cooperative. At some point, we kind of ran out of steam at some point with that, and it folded. And without ever really getting off the ground. I fooled around for a while trying to figure out what I wanted to do with beer while at the same time working other jobs and giving up on my, my former career as a landscape architect altogether. And then just talking to my dad and like, Hey, let's, what do you think about putting a brewery out in the barn and having a farmhouse brewery and doing some stuff? And he was like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask me that question for a couple of years now. (laughs) Let's uh, let's do that. Let's figure it out. So uh, we spent uh, probably probably six months getting every all of our ducks in a row, permit wise, financially, and and so forth. It, a big help was the whole process I'd gone through with the co op and and developing that business plan with those guys. So I had a head start on everything, and we did our own general contracting and put everything together over the course of about I guess a little over a year. The time we incorporated to the time that we were actually brewing our first batch of beer was probably fifteen months, which was. Uh, March, March of this year. So
0: that's the long answer, but that's how, that's how we got here. (laughs) Monica, what did you think of this whole process going on? Did you want to see a brewery come, come out here or, uh, did you, did you think uh, it it would work?
1: I was working, I guess I had left Maggie's pub at that point and Josh was working at Maggie's pub when we met, I was like, Oh yeah, he's, he's rad. And then I was like, Oh, he's opening a brewery. I'm not sure. I want to get involved with him. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I don't like breweries. I was just like, Oh, I don't know what that entails. Like I'm never going to see him. Um, but,
2: and all your worst fears came true,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I'm part of it too. So that it's fantastic. I'm super excited about it. I'm excited about what we're doing and the beer that we're putting out and, I'm proud of him.
0: Now, are these beers that you've always brewed or did you want to do something special by being on the farm with them? There's really only one beer that we make that I brewed
2: prior to this project, and that's Lodge. It's the Scottish Ale, which is uh, like a Scottish heavy. It's 3.2%, just an easy Drinker, and I brewed that for years as sort of our house beer downstairs in the kegerator, just because you can drink it all day and it tastes good. Other than that, we did the Grange recipe is something that I worked out for about a year and a half, knowing that we were going to be doing this project, and was was trying to dial that recipe in. But everything else has just been, well, we're we're a farmhouse brewery, so philosophically what else can we do? So like the Saison that we make, which Moe's is named after Monica because she likes those light, fruity, peppery Saisons. And so we change that recipe every time we make it. The, the base malt situation stays the same, but we, oh, we have some barley. Let's use some of our, our raw barley. Let's use our estate hops. Let's throw some apples in there. Let's, you know, whatever we have that's looking good, we throw into it. Um, the oyster stout, Dark Harbor is, even though it's Kind of an English stout. It's still to me as a farmhouse beer, just because. Well, what do we got? Oh, oysters two miles away down the road. Let's put oysters in this stout. That's that's to me uh, fits right in with our philosophy. And then, and the lodge really is just like you got to have beer to drink while you're making other beer. So you know, there it is, your Scottish session ale,
1: and you can drink all afternoon.
0: Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do, Monica. Your uh, your saison. Has there been a favorite version of it for you, or is it just? Keeps getting better and better each time.
1: I don't know that there's a favorite. Like they have, you know, it's been the first one was the two-row barley. The second version of it was the tetanine hops from our hop field.
2: I think I like that one the best.
1: That one was amazing. But I think that they all have been. I'm I'm, I'm super excited for the one that's coming out with the fresh apples Mm -hmm. from our orchard. That's going to be great. I just it's really fun to be the size we are because we have the ability to play around with ingredients and recipes and what we have around here to use. And so
2: we can take risks that larger breweries can't because if we mess up two barrels of something and we have to dump it, we're out, you know, some labor and probably a a couple hundred bucks um, on that beer. Whereas if it was 10, 15, 20 barrels, you know, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow, but we can mess around and try and recover something that's messed up, which Fortunately, hasn't really happened yet. But.
0: So, what, what is the size of the brew house then? <laughs> so, we have a
2: two barrel brew house and a couple of two barrel tanks and a one barrel tank. And other than the fermenters, it's all Craigslist scrapyard stuff that uh, a, a welder friend of, of ours fabricated and turned into a brew house. So, it's custom and a little bit weird in some ways, but it works really well for us and it's a comfortable comfortable system size-wise and operationally for us to use. It's all electric fired with the kind of the standard control panel that everybody builds nowadays with the electric brewery plans that are out there. Any idea of
0: expanding or or are are you quite happy to stay at that size?
2: I think eventually there'll be some expansion. We've talked about this a lot and I still don't want to be I don't want to be bigger than like five barrels. I just for the flexibility that affords us to to play around with the things like we do,
0: and and you really don't have that much more space in that barn either. When when we are looking at it, right? yeah. So yeah,
2: not not in there. It's it's three hundred and seventy five square feet. You know, we have the opportunity to to kind of push that wall back into the other bays. The, the building itself is twenty four hundred square feet, but. Um, we do have to maintain some of that to park tractors and things that we, that we use on the farm. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, we want to expand a little bit. We don't want to be so big that we have to have a plethora of employees and, and we like to keep the family component of it intact. And like, like we were saying, be able to play around like we do with beers. It keeps it fun. It keeps it exciting. I think if we get locked into too, too crazy of a production schedule with huge vats full of beer, then it'll be less fun and we'll
0: get burned out. So how is the response been? Like how many accounts do you have and and what's the overall reaction to your beer?
1: People seem really excited about it. It's always funny, not funny, but odd for Josh and I, I guess, especially for Josh to it's, you know, something that he's, it's his dream that he's living just to have people super excited about his beer. beers. Still trying to get used to, he doesn't know he ever will. <laughs> I think it's awesome. But I think, there, yeah, I think we're doing something different than what's out there right now, too, with what we have with our beers and being on the farm. Yeah, our accounts are growing. We started off with three.
2: Yeah. About? Yeah.
1: And we have double that, if not more now. I think so. we're...
2: we're- Probably at like 10 or so now.
1: Yeah. And still going out and talking to people. We wanted to make sure that we were able to keep the accounts that we started with full and happy yeah. before we started spreading ourselves too thin. So we want to make sure that we maintain those relationships that we've created in the beginning to people who have walked the path with us. So we now are seeing that we can expand a little bit more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then with that, then we'll be able to expand and the brewery out a little bit more and produce a little bit more as well. So... It's exciting. It's all happening really fast. <laughs>
0: yeah. And especially in Whatcom County, I mean, you're very unique in being a farmhouse brewery because I don't think there's another one in the county, right? And your closest competition is Bellingham. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you are bringing something different to the area, right? Who in the area isn't in, in inspiring you to keep brewing? And is there any influence that's really strong in the local area that kind of inspires you to make beer? Yeah, there
2: are definitely a few. Um, First of all, when we, when Monica and Xavier and I lived in Bellingham, we lived very near to Elizabeth Station and Chuckanut, and so we spent a lot of time at Chuckanut. We love their beers. They're just for drinking. They're drinking beers, and they're great, but they have depth to them. And the Vienna Lager was the beer that we had at our wedding. And um, technically, um, we don't have the same sort of capabilities to be able to produce the loggers the way that they do. But it's, we have so much respect for Will and Brian and Steve and Michael and all the other guys that work there that the beers they make are just fantastic. And then Wander is the other Bellingham brewery that jumps out at us that we we really like a lot. And a big part of that is of course the Belgian influence and, and the barrel program and just the way that they handle their malts and, and the depth that they get out of, out of the, the non-hoppy beers that they're doing is really inspiring. And then Eric North Jorgensen. Fork, Eric mm-hmm. Jorgensen is just a phenomenal brewer. And, and the system that he brews on is reminds us of a lot of our system. It's, you know, it's like kind of pieced together from, from like good equipment, but it's like, it's like kind of funky and like they make just really consistent English ales. And then the killer 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 sours and wild stuff that he's doing mind-blowing really like we we got to hang out with him uh, probably a month ago a month and a half ago um, one afternoon just for a little bit and talk about beer and walk around and taste some stuff that he hadn't released yet and just hear about little projects he's got going on and it's uh it's really inspiring for us because what he's doing there and what sandy was doing before him in that space. Um, it's really impressive and he's just kind of taking it to another level.
0: Is there any beer that you, uh, haven't brewed yet that you really want to have a go at? I think the, the things that I'm excited about, and I think that
2: you are too, is being able to do wild fermentations. Um, we've, we haven't been able to like really produce a wild ale yet. We've been doing some kettle sours and then we have like kind of farmhouse saison influence things, but the, the wild ale getting the terroir of our farm into beers. Now we're doing with the hops a little bit too, and the other ingredients we use, but we've done some little like micro cool ship, like one or two gallon experiments. And we've kind of built up those cultures and we just don't have the space right now to be able to have crap load of barrels and inoculate them with, with this stuff. But that's the direction that, that I've always wanted to go is having a bunch of oak. We have the, we have the barn for it. We have, you know, the microclimate to be able to hopefully culture something that's, that's good. That doesn't taste like baby diapers, um, <laughs> but that's what excites me the most. And and it's funny to, I guess every brewer probably goes through this at some point, but you start off with being really anal about like, Oh, I gotta be uh, sanitary sanitary and I gotta, gotta do everything the book in this way and go through all, jump through all the hoops and step by step. And then at some point you still got to do that, of course, because if, if you don't, you make crappy beer, but to turn off your brain a little bit or like, just let go, give up some control and let the beer take care of itself. It's exciting to me. It's hard because I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to things, uh, in my life. <laughs>
1: <You're> <laughs> but perfectionist, but... I'm
2: a perfectionist. And so you, it's weird. You give up some control over the process of brewing wild ales and using oak and Brett and all these things. You give up control of the microbes to achieve the perfection that you were trying to achieve through all of your tightly controlled brewing processes. It's a weird philosophical point
0: to come to in life. I don't know. Uh, But that's kind of where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) And like speaking of wild beers, the one that I tried when I actually first met you uh, was your oyster stout. Yeah. That's quite the story. How did, how do you make that beer?
2: About the time that we were building out the brewery here, I had subscribed to a a CSA program here with the oyster farm and they were just kind of getting started. It It had been a community run farm for a number of years. And the guy who was managing it kind of got burnt out and turned it back over to his old business partner, Steve Seymour. And Steve and his son, Mark, kicked it back into commercial mode. So I started buying oysters from Mark. And they're really, 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 really good oysters. We can't really say enough about how good they are.
1: They're um, really different than yeah. any oysters that you taste in this area.
2: The harbor out there has its own little microclimate and its own little situation that makes them really like sweet and just really really good. Anyway, so I've been eating oysters. And then they open up a retail shop and we're eating more oysters and talking about like business things. And he's you know, oh we're gonna get some beer and wine in here and have a little raw bar and stuff and I was like oh you know broom beer we should throw some oysters in a beer (laughs) and then you should sell the beer and so just through multiple conversations of like that and then doing research of course on the the history of oyster stout which is pretty interesting it's on the web page i probably don't need to delve into it here because i'll get really really
0: nerdy Um, (laughs) i I have the time (laughs) nerd out if you want
2: (laughs) So it's a collaboration with those guys, Drayton Harbor Oysters, but in researching how to make oyster stout and where it came from, I guess the first record of oysters in beer in a commercial beer was actually from New Zealand in like 1920 something. But prior to that, looking at brewing records from... England in particular, uh, oyster shells are primarily calcium carbonate, which is the uh, same as like chalk. So it's used in brewing chemistry, ch- adjusting water chemistry. So it'd been, shells had been ground up and used for a long time since Victorian England. There's no real clear path from where they went from adding shells to that official record of putting the whole oyster into the
0: beer. Chuck it all in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: but it just seems like... You know, we're sort of surmising that, well, at some point somebody was hung over or somebody was lazy or they were in a hurry, whatever it was, that they just started chucking the whole thing in. Um, it would have been sometime in the Victorian era, which is the same time when, you know, they're brewing like old cock ale and throwing chickens and stuff in beers too. So that would make sense. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's such a good combo, like oysters and stout. As like eating oysters and drinking stout, um, with the briny, minerally character of the oyster and the beer, um, that it makes sense that they they ended up together. Our version of it, you know, Monica tells tells the story best, I think, of of the whole the brew day. Like,
1: yeah, Josh goes down and meets Mark at the dock. Mark comes in from the oyster beds with the oysters. Josh meets him at the dock, and then within like half hour the oysters are being tossed into the kettle so they go from really really fresh to really really cooked. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> People always ask like, "Well, what do the oysters taste like after you cook them?" And, like really really terrible. <laughs> yeah. They're really tough and really bitter. Um they're not good. So we feed them to I guess the raccoons is probably who eats them. <laughs> yeah. So the beer, yeah, it has a has a really distinct mineral brine character to it. It's not like I don't think it's overpowering, but it it finishes with that and you go, "Oh. Yeah,
1: we like to describe it as you know, if you're taking a walk on the beach and you get that spray of the ocean.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's what I said to you when I when I first tried. it. It's like this yeah. is like beach time in the Pacific Northwest in yeah, November exactly. in a storm. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: the essence of the sea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it your favorite beer that you make? Oh, this is
2: it's always a hard question. People at the farmers market when we're doing samples are often asked, "So which one of these is your favorite?" And Monica says. I'll, Every time she pours a beer, basically she's like, "This one's my favorite." And then
0: she pours. <laughs> that, that's like, a salesperson the, right there, yeah. And then the next, yeah.
2: the next like three or four beers that she pours directly after that, like, "Okay, now that you've had that, you can have my favorite, which is this one." And then, <laughs> no, that'll probably my other favorite. So it's
1: really hard to pick because they all it is they're, they're all, all so different. Hold something so different,
0: yeah. and I, and I guess you're also at the mercy of like what the farm's doing too. Like, yeah, you know, if if the fruit's good or right. fruit's not that good, or- yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So it
2: always changes. And it, and it you know, it changes situationally for us too. Like one day, oh, I really want oyster stout. That's what we should drink with dinner today. And then the next day, it's like, I want, I want Moe's or I want the sour. Or, you know, we always have four or five beers available. And depending on the day,
0: one of those five is our favorite. And the other ones, we're like, meh. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, then uh, what is your favorite beer that you make to pair with your favorite food? I like, Grange. I,
2: I think that Grange has the most, kind of the most levels of complexity to it. And what kind of beer is that? It's a, It's just, a we call it a farmhouse sale. It, it started off originally as, as a Saison and it just kept getting a little bit darker and a little bit maltier. And then started playing with fermentation and spices and it just turned into something. I don't, I don't even really know how to describe it. It's not really a, not really a Saison. It's not really a beer to guard, It's not really a Belgian pale ale, but it has a nice malt backbone to it. It has... A little bit of caramel that has some spicy, peppery, gingery components to it. It's a little bit hoppy. It just fits in nicely with a lot of different things. I think it's good with spicy food. It's good with meat. It's good with dessert.
0: It like, sounds like a good all purpose beer. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. <laughs>
1: just nothing else out there that tastes like that. It's it's hard to put your finger on it exactly. But when I the first time I tasted it, I'm like, I've never tasted a beer like that. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still have not tasted a beer that tastes anything like the Grange.
2: Yeah. And it's a totally lot of unique. people have told us that too, which is cool. And and the other fun thing about Grange that always is exciting for me anyway, as a brewer, is that it's the beer that I worked the hardest on developing the recipe and was really excited about and hoping and hoping and hoping that it would be something that sold really well. And it's turned into our flagship beer, which i pretty much never happens unless you're trying to brew a really good IPA because everybody wants IPAs. We don't make
0: IPAs, so that has to be our flagship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so Monica, what's your, what's your favorite food and beer then combo?
1: I really like the kettle one for breakfast. <laughs>
2: so mix,
0: mix it makes makes a good beer Mosa. It does. Or you
1: just, juice. yeah. And you don't even really, you don't have to add anything to it. It already has that champagne cider component to it and it's delicious with, do some ranchero. I like to have, I like spices. So I like to have a little, I'm a little bit spicier than the rest of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and if somebody else was wanting to go down this path of opening up their own brewery, what would be some advice you'd give them? Don't do it. No, no just kidding. Uh,
2: just planning. It's just, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. And what's right for you is different than what's right for me and what's right for us. But planning is the biggest biggest component to, to not be surprised by anything that your local government or the TTB or whoever um, is going to throw at you with permits. Um, just be prepared. Good project management skills, whether that comes from you or someone you hire to help you with that um, are, are really critical. You're going to spend more money than you planned on, but you got to do it. You just got to do it. Got to live the dream. You're prepared and the dream, to work hard. Yeah. The dream consists <laughs> of working really, really hard, long hours all the time, like seven days a week for a really long time before maybe you can start working like 10 hour days, four or five days a week in a few years, if we're lucky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I just think be realistic.
2: You just got to be realistic about it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of headaches. And eventually, though,
0: if you're passionate about it, it'll all be worth it.
1: Just persevere.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much to Josh and Monica for taking the time to talk with me and let me visit them out on their family farm. If you'd like to find out more about them, you can visit them at atwoodales.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to review us on iTunes. It really helps us get this podcast series into as many ears as possible. If you would like to help support this independently produced podcast series, you can do so for as little as a dollar an episode by going to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, remember, support your local.